if you're not thinking about uh, sound and audio strategically and intentionally as it applies to every part of the mix and marketing, every touch point, every channel, every platform, then you're likely going to be doing yourself a disservice. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangle. Let's delve a little deeper. This is the first part of my interview with Shez Mera. My next guest is an award-winning creative entrepreneur, founder, advisor, and producer who specializes in building brand affinity through the strategic and intentional use of sound. Kind of sounds like he's the perfect person to ask about this audio branding thing, right? His name is Shez Mera, and we met recently at a monthly Zoom chat that Gina Isham put together discussing sound in marketing, and you'll have already heard Gina's episode by now. Shez really impressed me with his knowledge about the industry, but also with the projects he's worked on in the past, and where he sees all this going in the future. He's on the cutting edge and is discovering creative ways to use sound for his clients every day. I'm looking forward to exploring a lot more about that and hearing some of the stories he has to tell. I really think you'll enjoy this too. Well, thank you so much for being here with me, Shez. I really appreciate your taking the time. I know you are busy. You were saying you've been like, you know, nose down in your in your work for the last little while and well, probably more than the last little while, but <laughs> I hope it's going well. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's good. Uh, and thank you. I wanted to ask you to start off here just maybe to get some stories, because stories are always fun. What was the first memory of sound that you have that that really moved you out of curiosity? Um, <laughs> probably dancing to Chubby Checker with my dad. <laughs> you know it's a great memory four, four or five years old doing the twist mm -hmm. and and just getting completely energized every time i heard that song um when i was a little bit older not too much older maybe five or six years old i would press my ear right up against the radio and uh and wonder how the how the musicians were so small <laughs> in that little speaker and how the music was coming out um, i love it you know we had my parents had a, a vinyl collection and a record player um, playing records like, you know, the Grease soundtrack and, and various things. And yeah, I was always fascinated by sound, I suppose, now that I really think back. So yeah, it's, it's sort of been baked into my life and my childhood in, in yeah. interesting ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, so is is that what led you to working as you do now in sound, or was there what was the progression to getting where you are now? Um, so for me, you know, I immigrated to Canada in 1996. I was 10 years old, and I found it difficult to uh, amalgamate with with the other kids here. I had never seen snow. I never played hockey. Um, I got made fun of for having a WWF backpack, which I thought was <laughs> ludicrous because wrestling really? was, was life and Bret Hart was Canadian. And I was <laughs> excited to come to a country where, you know, the best there was, the best there is, and the best there ever will be was from. Uh, but anyway, I, um, you know, I sort of gravitated towards music as my 
as my escape or my lonely hobby being uh mm-hmm. this this lonely immigrant kid <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh you know one day i was listening to something and i heard scratching i heard a dj scratching a record it was either dj premiere or mixmaster mike and a beastie boy song or something and i was just enamored by the sound of of scratching and of like a vinyl record being manipulated and i was i was sold i went down a rabbit hole and started collecting records and and trying to find people who were getting rid of their collections and just hoarding vinyl um and then for my 15th birthday i took all of my money from shoveling driveways and working at tim hortons and delivering a paper route um i took all of that and i bought i bought turntables i bought a new mark belt drive starter kit and i wasn't old enough to drive down to tracks in toronto which is where i went to and my dad on the drive down sort of asked me you know you've worked really hard to save this is $2000 <laughs> why are you buying two record players what are you doing <laughs> and um that's what i did and you know i got into djing as a hobby just to cut and scratch and and sort of manipulate sounds and uh and mix records and mix music and uh, one day i went to an all ages club i was 16 at the time and i saw a i saw the dj playing that night completely control a crowd of 2500 kids in a big space i think it was government's main room in toronto and mm-hmm. he had these this this whole crowd just eating out of the palm of his hand and manipulating the energy and taking them on this incredible journey and i just stood by him and watched him the entire night um my my date was pretty pissed off at me cuz my now my wife now actually we went to that club together yeah she was like what are you doing come dance with me and i was just staring at this dj but i got yeah i got captivated by dj culture and you know i was fascinated uh, by this this person sort of behind the scenes playing wizard of oz and really controlling the entire narrative and soundscape and and influencing so many people's journey um and taking them on this this incredible you know wave of energy and yeah i decided to get into djing more um more formally if you will mm-hmm. and um i started djing clubs i started djing all ages parties i started djing 19 plus clubs when i was 17 and uh you know when i went to school i went to school at the university of guelph for economics and marketing but i was always focused on music in some way shape or form and um djing ended up being a pivotal part of my my university career i started throwing events and cutting my teeth by giving myself a forum to play my music and one thing led to another and uh you know before i knew it the dj career was going really well and i started traveling around the country and then across the world uh, many times over playing all kinds of events from uh, film festivals to charity galas to nightclubs to brand and corporate events and yeah you know it was i suppose a natural extension of my my love and passion for music um took me on this journey and through that journey is when i realized the incredible power sound truly does have uh in its ability to um you know influence and control people and and that's sort of how one thing led to another for me and i ended up in you know the advertising and branding marketing side of things but it was always through this natural iteration of sort of following my north star if you will 
um, and here we are. Sure. Yeah. I should point out to um, uh, the anyone listening that uh, there is nothing more quintessentially Canadian than working at a Tim Hortons to raise money for whatever you're doing. Yes, that, yep. <laughs> that was pretty quintessential there. That's it. <laughs> so well done. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I love that. <laughs> That's great. So, so the love of music is what got you into this whole branding idea. Mm-hmm. And... And I, I love that you studied that in university, too, because, uh, you know, the, the business end of things, I'm sure, has put you in good stead for what you're doing now as well. And the melding of it, I'm imagining, would be a great combination. Yeah, I think, you know, regardless of, of whatever your art form is that you practice, whether you're, uh, you know, a painter or a musician or whatever it is, really, um, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, I mean, 80% of it is is knowing how to make a viable living out of what you do. Granted, if you want to make it a career and not keep it as a hobby, right? Mm-hmm. Two different things. But yeah, I mean, the business side of things is uh, incredibly important. And um, I've always had one foot in music and arts and the other foot firmly planted in commerce and uh, understanding that, you know, the goal of whatever it is we're doing as artists or musicians, again, fortunately or unfortunately, depending <laughs> on your perspective, mm-hmm. is to move that needle and and lift sales or make money uh, and sell things to people. So have to have that in consideration as we you know focus on the artistic side of things as well. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you specifically, actually, um, what do you define as audio branding? Because I know you're, we've talked a little about the, the business and the music and, and the artistic end of things. And I know that there's a melding when it comes to audio branding because it is advertising, but it's also psychology, right? <laughs> sure is. Yeah. So yeah, what do you I, define it as? I suppose I look at it as though, you know, audio branding is essentially... Um, building differentiation through sound and it's not unlike visual branding in that you see a logo or a brand color um, and you're intrinsically thinking about you know that brand or that company in Canada we have five big banks and they all happen to have a different color Um, and you know the same thing can be said for sound is when I hear sounds what do I think of and how do those sounds make me feel and am I thinking about or recalling any specific companies, either for mm-hmm. profit or not for profit? So, no, without getting too detailed and nerdy, I think at a high level, it's about the way sounds make us feel about a product or service. So you, you've you talked about what the difference is or, or what the definition of audio branding is. And by the way, getting detailed and nerdy here is perfectly fine. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. So, you know, okay. we're, we're all good with that. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you what the difference was between an audio brand and a jingle, because I think a lot of people are getting the two mixed up. Yeah, I think, again, this is you know my personal opinion, and I wasn't around in the 50s and 60s, but I think jingles... Um, were largely produced for binary mediums of communication. So, you know, either uh, broadcast television or broadcast radio. And people lived very different lives back then. They were fully entrenched into those mediums. They were either gathered around a TV set, watching that programming and Mm -hmm. watching those commercials, listening to those commercials. And the same thing could be said for 
radio, they were probably driving in their car somewhere with their family or pulled over eating fast food or what have you. And they were actually, you know, paying a lot of attention to those mediums. And I think today, the way we consume information and the way we consume content is not binary at all. We are doing a lot of different things at the same time. Our attention span is being pulled at and tugged in many different directions. And um, those those binary forms of communication, you can't depend on those and solely those anymore. So while jingles or brand anthems might serve their purpose uh, as part of a larger audio branding strategy, it's really about everywhere a brand exists and speaks to their customers, whether it's B2B or B2BC or B2C, and um, taking taking real stock of what those interactions sound like, right, across the entire integrated marketing mix, if you will, whether it's out of home or, you know, background music in a restaurant or app notifications, all kinds of things. And there tends to be many, many more situations where sounds or audio are utilized that aren't really being thought of strategically and coherently. And I think that's where audio branding is is gearing towards. And I think that's what audio branding is all about. It's the entire holistic approach in terms of how are you using sound um, as a brand. Are you looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio branding strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website and I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while, totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that too. Now, back to the podcast. So along those lines, then, what do you think about audio-only social media apps like Clubhouse? Do you think there's a future in that? Or are you seeing, you know, where that might go? I do think there is a future. I, I also think that they're getting perhaps more attention than they deserve right now because of everyone's situations being locked locked down, if you will, in COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I think there, there is a purpose they serve, um, especially with the fact that you can participate and consume that information while doing other things, right? A lot of the clubhouse rooms that I am listening to, um, participants and moderators are often driving or running or buying groceries and you couldn't necessarily do those other things while scrolling a a feed of visual uh, social content so one would hope you're not you know <laughs> if you're listening in the car one would hope that you wouldn't be scrolling through visuals in a right. car and i yeah. mean people do it all the time you know yeah. you see people on their phones scrolling through a feed whether it's twitter or ig mm-hmm. or facebook or what have you but yeah you know to that point i think i think there is a future because people are busy and they want to they want to do other things. We are multitasking every day. 
And if we can consume information or participate in a conversation that is educational or informational um, in terms of helping us learn about something, then why not be able to do it while we, you know, buy groceries or work out? So I I think there is merit in the future of social audio platforms. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I'm finding it to be very inform- in- informal, um, and I kind of like that idea of it. Um, but yeah, I like the idea that I can do other things while I'm I do listening. think we'll, we're going to hit sort of a wall or a point of exhaustion like we do with every new thing that comes along. And even myself, <laughs> I've, you know, granted, I only have uh, Clubhouse on my iPad because I'm an Android mm-hmm. guy. Um, so I never I used am it. right there with you. Actually, <laughs> nice. that's exactly how I'm on there. I feel like an imposter. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, my, my, uh, my son has the iPad a lot and he's doing school and different things on there. And so I typically only would log on to clubhouse in the evenings. Um, but even these days I'm, I'm finding myself actually just reading books mm-hmm. <laughs> and wow. I, I actual hear, books. <laughs> yeah. I hear things all day, every day, or I'm in conversations and you know zoom calls and so forth and um so i've sort of pulled back a little bit from from listening because i'm Mm -hmm. listening all the time and um sometimes it's nice just to be able to hear your own thoughts as well right so i think it's it's going to be a healthy balance but i do think they are here to stay Mm -hmm. yeah that's a a good point i think we're all getting a little exhausted about how connected we all are right now yeah (laughs) how many zoom meetings have you had today six a lot (laughs) really yeah yeah oh my goodness okay well i love zoom though (laughs) zoom's great it well yeah i mean it certainly makes things easier in a lot of senses but it can be exhausting as you say (laughs) we would be you know at audio branding at one of the companies i'm I'm running we would be screwed without collaborative tools like zoom i mean we're Mm -hmm. quite literally in in sessions and and working with musicians all over the world and composers and sound designers and um, collaborating on projects and yeah if it weren't for these tools you know i don't know how we would function as a business that totally makes sense especially with all of us locked down as we are yeah and you know not many people in an organization actually being in the same city anymore i mean being able to work globally is really a fantastic uh asset to any company at this point because you get so many different perspectives that's it yeah but uh, but along those lines, uh, I also wanted to ask you if you had any uh, case studies of your audio branding that you've worked on for companies, because I'd like I'd love to hear how those went and 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 almost how the process goes, because I know that you start by helping companies figure out who they are in sound. So that's got to be quite the process. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. So there is a number of case studies. Um, we can begin actually with, uh, I'll leave them unnamed, but it's an energy company uh, in Canada. And, you know, they were launching a net new brand um, under, uh, as a subsidiary of theirs. And the brief came in as, like you said, just a jingle, just a mnemonic. <laughs> yeah. We just need a little catchy little earworm, if you will, to remind people that it is us. And our approach is a little different in that if we don't truly believe in the why and the work that we are getting into, we will gracefully bow out. So we we challenged and we pushed back and said, why do you think you need this audio asset or this mnemonic or jingle, if you will? 
we would love to hear your strategy and thinking as to um, what this means to you and how you plan on using it and so forth. And, you know, once we dig into those questions, and that's the first sort of phase in our process, understanding uh, the goals, the KPIs, the the undertaking, why are we even having this conversation? We tend to uncover, I'd say 95% of the time, we tend to uncover a lot more information than is presented mm-hmm. and that the client likely hasn't thought about themselves. And it's mm-hmm. in that initial discovery where we end up highlighting the real opportunity and creating, helping them write another creative brief, if you will, um, regarding what we're doing and why. And you know that little inquiry of a mnemonic turned into a much, much larger scope of work um, that extended across experiential, out of home, digital, radio, TV, uh, even product sounds and notifications. And um, most most brands aren't thinking about sound in this way. It's always thought of as a post-production conversation. It's mm-hmm. always something that comes up after the strategy team has thought about things, after the creative team has written you know, their treatment off a campaign or a brand launch, after the production team has been involved after the media buying agency has gotten involved and then it's thinking about sound and if that's the case we we choose not to do the work because we believe that audio belongs at the very top of the strategy and planning um, whether it's for a brand or a specific ad hoc campaign but if you're not thinking about Uh, sound and audio strategically and intentionally as it applies to every part of the mix and marketing, every touch point, every channel, every platform, then you're likely going to be doing yourself a disservice. And, you know, if that's the case, again, we're we're picky and choosy about the things that we want to get involved with because Mm -hmm. we want to do great work and we want to do meaningful work um, that moves the needle and impacts people, uh, consciously as well as subconsciously and to truly do that it is a completely holistic approach in terms of what we're doing um so that's yeah that's the first phase is making sure we're all very clear as to why we are going down this path and then also understanding you know what are the brand objectives what are the campaign objectives uh what does a win look like for you as a company how do we discern or understand value what does that mean uh how can we get clear on value being created? Um, so these are the sorts of questions that we dig into, and um, it takes a, it takes much longer than just yeah. responding to, you know, a tactical brief and delivering on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allows for a much deeper conversation that typically stems up the organization into leadership teams and C suite, and from there it it turns into a more of a partnership versus a vendor conversation um so you know that's our our personal kind of philosophy on things and the way we treat it Mm -hmm. i'm 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 just wondering how that um process usually happens because if you're like what kind of materials do you use to help people figure out what their sound should be do you know what i mean like because there's a there's a conversation there where the company needs to know who they are before they yeah. can come up with sounds that approximate that or that sure. give people the emotions they want to have sure. people feel right it's a big conversation 
Big time. Yeah. So most organizations or brands typically have a guide in terms of their visual and verbal identity. And they're usually comprehensive, you know, meticulous documents that are uh, very rigorous in terms of the safeguards that they, that they adhere to. And once we have that information, we play a little game where we ask different stakeholders in the organization. Um, we have a set of questions that we give them, but we specifically have them all answer those questions independently. And what ends up happening is even though a brand team or a siloed unit of a company is completely aligned on their visual and verbal guidelines, because music and because sound is is so personal, mm-hmm. they end up coming back with completely differentiated, often polarizing answers as to what their brand sound should sound or feel like. So once these organizations come back and answer these questions that we've sent them, just to do a temperature check, if you will, what ends up happening is their answers are actually completely differentiated and polarizing. And that presents the opportunity to say, see, you know what your brand looks like, you know what your brand sounds like from a written component but your opinions of what the brand should sound like are all over the place and that sort of makes the case um you know for what we do and how we can help them Mm -hmm. guide them hold their hand to get to uh, a a point that they're all comfortable with and that they believe in Um, so our goal is to align brand sound in the same way that they've aligned their brand uh, tone and their their visual brand identity, and again, most organizations haven't gone through this conversation as yet, so it's not their fault. They they haven't they haven't been thinking this way. Mm-hmm. And um, once we can point this out for them and help them establish clarity uh, as to why we are doing this, and the fact that your own brand team is is completely misaligned <laughs> on yeah. on something very important, something that you spend. You know, hundreds of millions of dollars on on paid media behind potentially, that highlights the real opportunity that okay, this is something that we should likely be thinking about more thoughtfully. Um, and that you know, makes so a I lot think sense, it, it's yeah. just in how you sort of frame the opportunity. Um, that's typically where we begin, and from there, as you know, Jody can become a rigorous, cumbersome process uh, in in steering this forward towards. Uh, direction that everyone is clear on that everyone believes in and that actually makes sense in terms of those brand values and that feeling you want to convey right across the organization sure yeah Yeah. (laughs) there's a lot that goes into it (laughs) (laughs) there is there is i know we're all dealing with a lot these days so i really wanted to acknowledge those that have gone out of their way to leave an honest review of this podcast Like Edith, who writes, excellent job. I will recommend this podcast to my friend who is now working on their company branding. I believe that sound plays a great role in their company's brand, and I'm sure she will like this recommendation. Excellent job, Jody. Thanks so much, Edith. I'm so glad you and your friend find the podcast useful. I really appreciate your comments. And for those of you that are interested, you can also leave a voice review now off of the main podcast page. It's super simple, and I'd love to hear what you think. Now, back to the show. 
I, I think it's amazing that a lot of companies just really haven't thought of it at all, that they're so comprehensive with the visual aspects, and yet the audio is just completely left to whatever media buy or marketing firm <laughs> they've decided to go with and whatever you know, license-free music they've decided to plop on yeah. it, whatever they're using. I think it's worked well until now, mm -hmm. or it's worked not necessarily well, but they've gotten by. Yeah. But I think many, many organizations are going to find themselves caught off guard because they haven't been thinking about this. And again, is it their fault? Not necessarily. They've likely gone through, you know, decades sometimes of leadership that has always done things a certain way and it's worked because again, the world has been designed in such a way in terms of how we communicate with one another, but it is not the same world as even five years ago or 10 mm -hmm. years ago. And lots of um, changes a lot of changes and and even the way our brains are, are being wired differently now are is changing and we have to plan for these changes we have to plan for the new media landscape and what that means and if you license a, a piece of music for a tv commercial and that you know that campaign ends up taking off let's say and turns into its own little beast of a tiktok challenge and you're not actually licensed for that medium i mean a bunch of things happen. You open yourself up to possible litigation, you know, by people using your music and you don't capitalize on the fact that this other ancillary component to your campaign that you might not even plan for, it just organically took off and did its own thing, earned all of its own earned media. Uh, you have to consider these things because you can't look at things as tactical ad hoc campaigns, agnostic to platforms anymore you really mm -hmm. need to think that okay this is a tv spot but what could it look like in the context of social you know or this is a social campaign but how might it translate to um physical locations when when we are back interacting in physical locations so i think really taking a holistic sort of integrated look into things and planning for sound and planning for audio or music in that capacity uh is going to become you know the way forward and, and it's going to become normal for brands and their agencies and that's another thing i think a lot of the typical creative agencies that exist today that have existed for decades um i think you're going to see them sooner than later all come out saying that hey we do sonic or audio branding mm -hmm. because it's this very important thing that is not going away and in fact has tremendous tailwinds behind it and you're going to see these hold co agencies all sort of rubbing their hands thinking that oh okay great this is another thing we can we can sell through to our clients and sure. you know it's another thing in our PNL that can make us money but so i think and this is a prediction we'll see how it pans out a year from now i guess i think you're going to see traditional creative agencies that have typically leaned on post houses or sync shops or music houses i I think you're going to see them come out saying that, hey, we are Sonic or audio branding experts too, and you should know how your brand sounds, and we can help you with that. Mm -hmm. uh, so they'll bring and, it all in-house. Yeah, or they'll try to, but mm -hmm. as you know, it's it's a specialized, nuanced conversation. Not as easy as just hanging a shingle. <laughs> no, it's not something you go and just decide to do one day and you know, right through to strategy down to how your account team knows how to sell it through and instill confidence and trust within a client to move forward all That's of those subtle trick, nuances 
Yeah, I That's mean, a, you know, because people, I don't think, understand how powerful this is, first of all, but I don't think that they understand what their true ROI is going to be. And right. Convincing them that there actually is an ROI and that they should have started it 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Is the tough sell. <laughs> what, what are the, so I always say, you know, we should be able to sell through to a CMO and a CFO, right? You, you want to win over the brand stewards, the people responsible for mm -hmm. building brand identity and affinity. But then there's another edge to that sword and it's the people safeguarding the money. It's procurement or you know, the controller, or the CFO. And if you can paint the picture in a way that rallies every siloed component of a publicly traded organization and everyone buys in and understands this is why we are doing what we're doing and this is how it's going to pay dividends over time, it's much easier to garner true investment in that space. Um, and not just frivolously for the fact of, you know, putting lipstick on a pig and saying that we are doing something, <laughs> Yeah. But, but truly working on it with the same level of attention and detail and respect as you do every other component of your brand. And I think that is, uh, you know, that's how we like to do things. We, we like to say, okay, let's actually take stock of how much money you have spent sinking music over the last five fiscals I'll or the last decade. Yeah. And you add it up and, you know, the next question is, okay, cool. So what do you have to show for after the fact? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, these, these campaigns are, have all expired. They're not running anymore. So is anything that you've invested in from a licensing perspective, from a music perspective, what quite literally what what do you have today to show for after the fact and if you want to talk about investments and dollars i mean pretty bad investment there guys you have yeah. you have nothing to show and you continue to try and you know rent your brand equity or capitalize on the likeness by thinking okay this song makes sense for this campaign so great we should go ahead and and pay these crazy licensing fees uh to a publisher somewhere that owns the rights to use this in our I don't know, whatever it is, you know, could be any kind of product. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, we try and come in as a true consultancy versus a typical agency model. There is no rate card to what we do. There's no standard list of services we offer. We have to come in and understand what is happening, what has been happening, where are you today? Where are you trying to go and audit things? And part of that initial audit and deep dive is saying, okay, this is what you have been doing with your advertising dollars as it, as it pertains to sound or music or audio or all three. Um, and here are opportunities to actually take that money and spend it in much more beneficial ways that will leave you with something that is likely going to become an upfront investment, but will be amortized for years and years to come. So again, from a framing perspective, when you, when you, you know, it's like investing in real estate, I suppose, or uh, you might look at a mortgage on an investment property or something as like, oh, this is huge, a huge debt, a huge expense. But over those 25, 30 years, you know, you, you actually own something. You own physical land, you own mm -hmm. these bricks, you own this structure. And for brands to invest in their brand identity from a sonic perspective, from an audible perspective, they will in fact own creative assets that live on their balance sheet. And, you know, I haven't looked into the specifics here, but a company like Intel 
I wonder, I wonder what is more valuable on their balance sheet. Is it their, their audible brand asset, their audio logo, which has much higher recall than their visual logo? Totally. Or is it their visual logo? Now, I don't know, but I would argue that their audio logo in terms of recall and memorability and familiarity uh, is very valuable to their balance sheet. So I think, you know, as creatives, as musicians, as, as composers, we understand the value of what we do, but we need to be able to frame it and articulate it to the people responsible for investing in brand and brand decisions. Um, yeah. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time. Bye.